0: In today's episode, I'm joined by Nakeo Grico, the beauty founder behind 13 Loon and Relevant, Your Skin Scene. Keep listening for more on why she decided to launch her brand, how she paved the way for BIPOC founders in the industry, and what drives her along the way. Hi everyone and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs who built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable & Maine, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable & Maine has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, as so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest for today, Nikeo Grico. She is the co-founder of 13 Loon, the e-commerce destination highlighting BIPOC-founded beauty brands, and more recently, relevant, your skin scene, a clean skincare brand championing inclusivity. As a 20-year industry veteran, Nakeo realized there was a little to no representation of BIPOC representation and set out to usher in a new era. She launched 13 Loon in 2020 as a celebration of beauty and community bringing together luxury BIPOC-owned brands and creating a space to share their stories with a wider audience. With now over 165 brands as part of 13 Loon, including her newly launched brand, Relevant Your Skin Scene, Nakeo has continually built new opportunities to deliver for people of all skin tones. Marrying of science-led innovations with heritage ingredients, Relevant is a melanin-safe brand made for all, relevant to everyone, regardless of skin tone. Nikeo is such a pleasure to finally meet you today and thank you so much for being with us.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here.
0: So yeah, I asked all my guests the same question. I'm going to ask you (laughs) who in a nutshell is Nikeo?
1: Yes, I love that question so much and I've listened to the pod. You think I would have prepared my answer, but not rehearsed. Who is Nikeo? Nikeo is a dreamer. Nikeo is an entrepreneur, a mom, girlfriend, to to many lovely women and friends. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely someone who is living a life currently where I feel that I've aligned my passion, my passion for beauty with my purpose.
0: Amazing. Well, I kind of, I want to kind of timeline this a little bit, I think, start from the beginning and we'll work to today because there's so much to unpack and to uncover. Um, <laughs> so I want to start at the... The beginning of Baby Nakeo, um, she was born in the East Coast, but raised in Oklahoma. Um, would love to know a little bit about those early memories, but your first memories of beauty in all yeah. of
1: that. Yeah. So yes, I'm a first generation American of Kenyan descent, um, born yeah. in New York, raised in Oklahoma. And I would say my first foray, entrance, introduction into beauty, where my beauty journey began was when I was eight years old and and I went to Kenya for the first time. Um, that is where I got to meet my grandmother, Nikeo. Um, she was a Kenyan coffee farmer and a matron at a boarding school. And she, um, taught me by using coffee that comes from her farm, how to make my own exfoliator. We would crush coffee beans and we would add oils. We would use rods of sugar cane that she grew on her farm as well. And we would use it to, to treat our skin and you know, in those days in Kenya, and even growing up here in the States from my parents, I would always learn about the stories of my medicine man, grandfather, who had passed away before I got the chance to know him and, and really learned about the power of restorative oils. And so even when I was a little girl, I mean, I I know, you know, in many cultures around the world outside of the US in the 80s and 90s, you know, using oil all over your body, all over your hair, skin, etc, was commonplace. But but it wasn't in Oklahoma when I was growing up. And, and I remember just having, you know, sleepovers with friends and they would come over and they would see my mom putting a lot of oil on my hair and oil on my skin and sort of look at me strangely. But I knew because of my family and because of my heritage about the restorative power of uh, cold pressed oils. And so that's really where my beauty journey began. And then it sort of paused for a while until my 20s. And, and when I decided to start a brand honoring my grandparents. Uh, beauty
0: recipes. Let's talk about that. And I want to talk a little bit about, I um, mean, you studied at, uh, at University of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. right, uh, marketing, and then yeah, and then you, you did, um, what was like the next steps from there? Because a lot of people, I think our listeners are, a lot of them are students and yeah. often they, they don't fully, they have a lot of different dreams and a lot of different, yeah. I guess, pathways to take, right? right? What was yours and what was going through your mind in those moments?
1: My gosh, who knows? I, I, graduated from from OU and I know what was going through my mind in that moment was that I didn't want to live in Oklahoma anymore and I didn't want to move yeah. to Texas like all of my friends um, I didn't want to work in pharmaceuticals and I didn't want to work at a financial firm and so I wanted to go somewhere where I would have permission to dream and just figure it out I loved sports in college um, I worked for the men's basketball team at the University of Oklahoma and had worked at a men's baseball team and so and done some internships with ESPN, et cetera, when I was in school. And so I sort of thought I would, you know, graduate, maybe go get a job in sports and then come back and go to law school one day so that I could be a sports agent, which is hysterical to say out loud now because I barely watch sports anymore. (laughs) But I was really passionate about sports back in the day. And I went out to Los Angeles with that dream you know, of, of working for a sports agency. And, it you know, truth be told, it was a lot more difficult than I thought to break into that industry, especially as a young female, um, black female in, you know, the 90s. So I ended up getting a job at a talent agency. Um, I worked at CAA as an assistant, was my first job out of college. And, um, I didn't really know a lot about Hollywood. I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of television when I was growing up. You know, I I had my favorite shows, but really, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, it was such a sports-driven community that you know most of my time was spent you know watching sports, and so I didn't know who you know. I watched Friends. I watched all of the musty TV Thursday night television shows, but you know, outside of that, I hadn't. I didn't really know a lot about the industry, but I got a job at CAA. I started working there. It was not as glamorous as I thought it would be, but a really great time to learn the industry. And from there, I sort of kept kind of moving around to work in different jobs and different facets of Hollywood. And what I found is that I really liked the representation of actors the most. and And my last job in the business, I worked under um, a manager, and I'm working with a lot of actresses. And in that job, I had a lot of uh, products coming across my desk for for them, for the actors, and often was lucky enough to take them home. Um, and in this time, it was a really special time in Hollywood where we were starting to see more actors kind of replacing models on, on magazine covers or getting big beauty deals with companies like Neutrogena. And so I really wanted to be a part of all of those negotiations, those photo shoots, spending time in the makeup trailer. And then I sort of had this aha moment that I I really care more about beauty than I do about reading scripts and finding actors' jobs. And, you know, I would play with all of these products that I, you know, would have coming in by the droves, you know, for A-list actresses. And I would go home and it was sort of my self-care on the weekends just to go through all of these products and try everything. And what I found was that, you know, as I would read about these brands and, you know, this is before social media, and you know, I would really research these brands. I found that there were so many ingredients that, represented many cultures from around the world. Um, a lot of these products used ingredients from Africa, but nobody was talking about African ingredients at that time. And there weren't any brands that were really celebrating uh, the sophistication of Africa, the beauty of Africa, the rich resources, yet so many brands were using these ingredients and, and not speaking about them. And so I was 27 years old, very idealistic. And I thought, well, gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that. I'm going to change the industry. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to make my grandmother's coffee scrub. So that's what I did. Yeah, that was the KO Beauty, my first brand. And I didn't know much about, you know, the industry. I loved beauty products, but I didn't know much about the industry. I just knew what I knew. Um, I was not independently wealthy. So I knew I was going to have to raise a little capital, um, which I'd never done before. And Found very quickly that, you know, it was going to be very difficult for me to get VC or private equity money. I tell people I mentor all the time now and brands that I work with now that, you know, I can't even imagine what the stats were in 19 and 2000, 2001, you know, when I was launching this brand. Um, if they're as dismal as they are today, but, you know, there's something really wonderful about the naivete of not knowing stats, not having that information especially if you're a dreamer and you're you're setting goals because I believed I could do it so I just had to figure it out and you know through friends and family capital credit cards whatever it took to get this coffee scrub made into shelf I I made it happen and I had a very limited amount of time to make it happen because I needed to make money to pay rent and so I was able to, to create these first few SKUs based on my grandfather and my grandmother's recipes and teachings. And I launched it at Fred Siegel here in LA at Apothea at Fred Siegel, Ron Robinson's store. And it was a great time for indie beauty. Um, it was a time that we were seeing brands like Stila and Hard Candy and DL & Co kind of coming to the forefront and taking up so much market share. So it was a good time to launch an indie brand because people were really falling in love with boutique shopping. And then I launched at Jeffrey, New York, and then built that brand to about 180 boutiques on my own, being customer service, shipping and receiving <laughs> sales, a terrible accountant. Um, but I did it.
0: Wow, that's, <laughs> I mean, the 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 lessons learned. I think sometimes in those moments, I'm sure you would have been like, I would have loved the extra cash flow and the support and the uh, team. But actually looking back, it's like so important to also see the merit of all of those moments of how much you've learned.
1: absolutely, And,
0: and, uh, and actually the lessons you can probably, I wouldn't say necessarily avoid because it's inevitable. Sometimes, you know, it's good to go through these things in our next ventures, but sometimes there's things you're like, you know what? It's good that I don't do that again in my next right. venture. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: Learning from your mistakes. You know. Yes. And, and you know, it is. And it's also, you know, with my first brand, there were so many stops and starts, you know, I would get the brand here, and then only had capital to take it here. And then I would have to shut it down. And then I would have to go look for financing with, you know, I'd say the, the biggest challenge I had in that first uh, foray into entrepreneurship, which, you know, lasted for, you know, 20 years. I was with that brand um, that, you know, was access to capital and, and not being able to get into the right rooms. I I had the growth, you know, I, I had, I remember one time, um, and this was after I'd had my first child and my product showed up on the Oprah show, um, and the Ellen show in the same week. And it was during the holidays and it crashed my website. I was completely instantly within minutes, so backordered in inventory because I didn't know how to shut it off. I didn't know how to stop the sales. I had a lot of angry customers because it was the holidays. Everybody was shopping for these great Nikeo products, you know, and, and, you know, not having the opportunity to go to anyone, banks or or any investors at that time to get the capital to fill those orders caused me to have to shut down the business one time. That happened a couple of times. But, but what I did learn in those moments, um, I learned a lot about supply chain. <laughs> I learned a lot um, about resilience. And I learned how to get back up, which I think is the best the best lesson any int- entrepreneur um, has to go through gets to go through because the only failure is just not getting back up again. And so I got the opportunity to get up a lot with with
0: Nikeo. And I think also uh, Nikeo probably taught you a lot of the, the realities of the landscape and the industry. Like who was mm-hmm. you know how many banks could you call and rely on on a loan, or how many people were willing to invest. And I think that's one of the reasons why some you know an entity like Thirteen Noon today is so important to support. And and allow the discovery of incredible black and brown owned businesses that have the the potential, right? They just need that support sometimes, and right. it shouldn't be that difficult to prove because it's there. Look at the look at the volume of interest. It's like it's. and look at not even like within our you know um, cultures and people that can relate of our ethnicity, but generally speaking our products, these ingredients don't discriminate from India, from Africa. They're for everyone to enjoy. They're for These everyone. products are, and I think that's, and, and they have been used in some way by everyone without being credited sometimes, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's another exactly. conversation. But, yes. um, uh, and, and that's, you know, even when we launched Fable, my first meetings with Sephora, it was always like, oh, there's an amazing um, community of South Asians there we should look into. And I said, Hold up, like when I launched, when I'm coming to you, I never once said this is for South Asians. Like, I understand I'm South Asian, but when did I say this is for South Asians? Exactly. Um, Exactly. It's it's a lot of like, um, I think this assumption that it takes years of, I guess, educating and learning from the past. But that, I think, Nikeo experience has probably helped a lot. It's just reality of what's needed. And I think that's, I'm really um, glad. That 13 noon exists today for this. You yeah,
1: know? no, definitely. And I and I did. I learned yeah. so much about you know how to how to how to debunk the myth that you know black and brown people only make products for ourselves. I was in premium skincare sale, selling in high end boutiques. You know there weren't a lot of consumers even that looked like me in the stores that I sold into, and and so I really loved that opportunity to help educate. You know, I talk about you know even in my new brand Melanin Safe and. I can't believe how many people hear the word melanin and don't think it applies to them. I'm like, no, no, no. All human beings have melanin in their skin. Some of us have more, some of us have less. But, you know, I really look at it as a true, true opportunity to to continue to educate, right? Because the more people hear, the more people do, the more people understand. and And so, yes, you know, and also I think one of the key lessons I learned with my first brand, you know, I also got the opportunity, you know, it was, it was a lot of hard work, but there were many wins, you know, to launch into national retail, to become a part of, of large portfolio companies uh, twice. Um, And, and, you know, what I did find though, was that even in those moments, um, you know, launching into several ultra doors, I was always the niche BIPOC brand in these large portfolios, which meant that I wasn't always necessarily receiving the same support or, or marketing dollars or attention, you know? So it was, you know, part of that motivation for 13 Loon 2 is that I know what it feels like to get this big opportunity. And then you go to shelf to die, right? Because you can't afford to be there. And so really helping, you know, the brands that I get to work with now understand that, yes, it's okay to say no or not yet, or I'm not ready yet and make sure that you're prepared so that when you get to shelf that you can win. And um, and it's a hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do, but it, it can, in the long run, really work to save your business.
0: Absolutely. So so, so then go from Nikeo's, which eventually was, um, is, is it true to say it's, it's sold now to a, a strategic?
1: Yes, yes. In 2017, I was part of a portfolio of brands and all of the brands were acquired by Unilever. And so I stayed on with the brand um, for a few years. Um, and, you know, that's a really interesting, uh, story in itself for another time. But, you know, when I was working with the brand, um, you know, it, it had gone from Ulta into Target and it was premium skincare. And so trying to, you know, really figure out like where, where the brand would land and what, you know, how to get that, you know, premium consumer to come over, how to tell that story because you're, you know, when you're in Target, it's, it's a different experience than when you're in an Ulta or Sephora because you're not necessarily standing at shelf and and getting to storytell as as much. And so, you know, I learned a lot through that experience as well. But um, in the summer of 2020, you know, not only were we in the midst of a global pandemic, the KO had just launched into Target. And all of a sudden, after the murder of George Floyd, my sales went up 435%. And, you know, while it was lovely for the brand to receive the attention and to to meet a lot of new people through my DMS, it was built on the precipice of this heartbreaking time. And I was devastated like the rest of the world with what was going on. We couldn't leave our homes. People were dying in the streets. You know, it was, I didn't really want to focus on beauty sales. I was trying to think about how, how we're all going to stay alive, how, how to explain what was going on to my children and, And I was also a little frustrated because I had been at it at that point for 18 years. And I'm like, this is what's going to put me on the map, right? And I would show up on all of these lists of, you know, top black owned to shop and to follow and all of those things, which was great that people were rallying to to celebrate black and brown owned brands. But what really shocked me was when I looked at these lists and I could not believe after being in this industry as a black female who makes products for everyone um, for 18 years, how many brands were on that list that I had never heard of? I, it was shocking. Sometimes I was on a list of 1,000, 500, 250. I and fifty. I'd spent most of my career being the only in premium skincare on shelf. And so it was fascinating to me. And I, you know, while it was all a lot to digest, I just sort of thought like, I'm gonna take my pain, I'm gonna turn it into purpose and I'm gonna start shopping these lists. And I'm going to start connecting with these founders. You know, a lot of what you do here on your podcast, it's so important. And I would just slide into their DMs. Hi, my name's Nikayo. I couldn't believe how many of them had ever heard of me, right? Because I always felt like this niche unknown brand. And we started talking about our experiences and what was happening and, you know, helping and trading info. You know, a lot of them were selling out of their product because they didn't have a lot. and they, they weren't distributed anywhere. Yeah. And at that point, you know, uh, I knew and it's
0: like a deja vu, right? From yeah, when you had that moment. Yeah.
1: A hundred percent. And, and I had been dear friends with my co-founder of 13 Lynn Patrick for quite some time. And we had talked about maybe, you know, wanting to do something together. I was ready to start something new and then 2020 happened. And we had this little brief moment in June of 2020, where we were able to kind of go out before we locked down again and socially distance and he and I had lunch and we were talking about this experience and all of the feelings I was having around everything, you know, and it was just this aha moment where I thought, Oh, I want to create the retailer I wish I always had. I want to find a way to take all of these brands that I'm, I'm learning about and connecting with and have all of us under one umbrella as a retailer and. I want it to be 90% BIPOC because we were seeing all of these beautiful pledges happening, like 15% pledge and pull up for change. But then in my head, I was like, well, I'm on a list of a thousand brands. How come you can't get to 13 on shelf? You know, why is it difficult? I'm in a, like another big lofty, big idea. You know, Patrick, we should do this. Let's let's create a platform. The first of its kind, truly inclusive beauty retail platform where 90% of the brands are BIPOC created by people of color who make products for everyone and 10% dedicated to fostering allyship because I knew if I wanted to say truly inclusive, while circulating black dollars, brown dollars is important, um, the way to build generational wealth is to make sure that everybody is shopping our brands. And so we decided to start a website and six months later, company born on Zoom, we started 13 Loon with 13 brands, BIPOC brands. And 60 days after we launched, we did a little friends and family raise. We raised a million and a half dollars in a week just so we could get the site going. Hired some of our, you know, mutual friends to work with us. And then 60 days after we launched, we got a call from JCPenney saying, Hey, we are, you know, have had this amazing moment. They've been bought by Simon Malls. We're reimagining JCPenney Beauty. We're looking for a hyper-inclusive beauty retail platform. And Patrick and I knew we would always be omnichannel, but we'd only yeah. been open for 60 days, you no, know? not that
0: quick. I mean, Yeah,
1: <laughs> and, and then we thought about, like, what would it mean for these brands that we are onboarding to 13 Loon to take them to national retail this year? And so in 2021, we signed a deal with JCPenney, and now... We are 26 months old and we are about to complete opening our 613 Loon stores at JCPenney. So, and it has been a game-changing, life-changing experience for so many of our founders. You know, we have one founder who was the first founder to ever launch um, a Native American Chicana founder, the very first makeup brand to launch national retail in the US is a brand called Prados Beauty. And when I met Cece, yeah, when I met Cece, she was doing 17,000 in sales D to Cs and her brand that she started out of her baby's nursery. And she was one of our first 13 brands on 13 Loon. And last year, her first full year of distribution into 13 Loon at JCPenney, she closed out the year at over 1.5 million. So it literally is changing lives, building that generational wealth and allowing these well-deserving founders to take up more
0: space. Exactly. And I think most importantly, like they've done the hard work of building a brand with love and passion and a reason. Yeah. And often a lot of different stakeholders from in the wrong investors, the wrong retailer platform and ideas can often diminish your value, at least internally, right? And they need a, a place where they can see their value. I think that's what 13 Luna has done. It's of course, you're giving them an opportunity, you're giving them a platform, you're giving them, but you've made them see their potential. And you clearly have done that with this numbers, eh? um, A. And, and be part of, I think, a family that they can rely on and, and support with each other to grow, mm-hmm. right? It's exactly that, that collaborative effect. And so that's what I said to you before we joined the pod. I said, you know, the amount of people that talk about you, Nakeo, and 13 Loon, in such high regards, in such a short time, um, God, thank is a... It's amazing. I mean, this, and it's just the beginning, you know, that's the exciting part. It's like, it's incredible.
1: So sweet. I received that. Thank you so much. And you know, it is when you said, you know, when we were speaking earlier about mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I know we're all going to make our own mistakes, but I am, you know, darn sure that these founders aren't going to make the mistakes I made. And when you t- think about that, like you made such a great point. I mean, some of the biggest mistakes that I've ever made, the biggest mistake I've ever made is is leaving my self-worth at the door when it came to an investment opportunity and um and it there was no recovering from that you know it was just this snowball effect of like when you take a bad deal because you're so desperate to keep your brand alive then all you do as your brand grows and becomes more successful is lose more of yourself to the point where you're you can be left with literally categorically nothing after building businesses for years and years and years and And I think that your gut is your strongest tool. Um, I remember when making some of those decisions in my life, what I physically felt like in my stomach, like I knew like you shouldn't do this. Like you got to just have faith that you can keep going. This isn't the right person or the right partnership for you. And to your point, like those moments of, of, you know, lack of self-worth or, or not believing in your true power and magic um, is, can be detrimental to not just your business, to your soul. But to that point, I, I will say that I am grateful because now as our brands are starting to grow, you know, there are incredible investors. There are incredible strategic companies. There are so many people who fight for founders. And then sadly, there's a handful of really predatory investors lawyers who aren't so great. And so my hope is that as our brands are starting to grow and they're starting to receive all this attention, whether it be from other retailers, whether it be from potential investors, is that I'm able to help them listen to their gut and and make decisions that are truly in their best interest and in, in their highest, highest vibration and self. I love that.
0: That's so true. And I think when you believe in that that gut feeling and you know it, you listen to it, I think then also knowing that you can rely on the family, right, that you built in 13 Loon to even just talk and be like, am I, you know, am I wrong here? Am I right here? And the, and, and these stories that we've all experienced, you know, the, the thing I've seen a lot is a lot of these predatorial investors, let's call them, <laughs> they would, or strategics, they would, they would paint a perfect picture and they will make you feel amazing. And then when it comes to the actual term sheets, the, the, the bullet at the end of the, the line, they're going to be a little bit like, actually, you know what? Market potential is really small, this and that, and then everything will shift. And then you'll feel forced into a bad deal just because you feel, oh, but maybe they're right. Uh, and you know, and it, it's, it is actually um, diminishing the value of what we've got. And, and often in the room, it's not people that, can that have done the homework or research on the potential of what you've got? So I think it's about really making sure you have your tribe that you can rely on, your family that you can just talk through these things because it can feel very lonely. In there's I think like you know, brand building is one thing, but raising or and um, and that's that's one of business. People feel they need to do it alone because I don't want to tell anyone. I have got to feel like you know, yeah. no one will. You know, it's a terrible think, no, idea it's a, terrible, <laughs> it's a idea. terrible you should speak up until you should and talk learn. about it yeah. you should
1: ask questions you should vet your exactly. investors i'm mean, like i don't know why nobody ever told me that until until somebody said to me maybe five years ago you you should definitely ask at least three people um yeah. that that person i mean it, it seems so you know we check references our references are checked when we apply for jobs if we're hiring people we check references it, it was like this moment of oh my gosh, how I could have saved myself by just checking references but on-
0: I think that, that that reference is really, remember my old, oh, the, the rule of three, it sounds really basic, right? But my old CEO of Dior used to tell me all the time, test people three times. And I was like, why three? Why not four? Why not two? But I think there's a rule of thumb, like just yeah, get There, a few there has to be power
1: in three. Yeah, yeah. there
0: has to be power in yeah, three. three. I just check
1: Because most likely if they're an investor then you aren't their first investment, right? Especially for a significant amount of money. Just ask three of his portfolio company founders. It's easy to find each other. Go to LinkedIn. How's your experience been? Um, Even go and,
0: pay yourself a ticket to go to a talk where they're speaking at, and then go find yes. them after. There's so right. many ways. Right. Read all the
1: articles about them. Exactly. Read the reviews about them. Go to Reddit. <laughs> you don't have to believe everything you read, but you know um, it is. It's true. So that was something that I I was late to the party on um, with uh, with checking the. Room. But I think there's also something to to that in the way that I think when you, um and I i don't know, I was born in the seventies, you know, I'm a woman, I'm a black woman. Sometimes as a, you know, a, if it was up to my parents, I, I would have been a lawyer or an engineer or a doctor, you know, as a, as a first generation, you know, child of immigrants, but asking for money was something that I had to reframe in my brain. Yeah. you know, It's not um, being
0: trained. It's not being, uh... It's not yeah.
1: natural but you know one thing that i've i've just had this aha moment because for the first time i have like the most incredible cap table that patrick and i truly curated right that when i finally understood that seeking investment is an invitation to join our dreams our mission as opposed to please give me money it's it's such a different different experience and then you attract the right people and the right investors. And even sometimes you attract people that that say no, but you learn in those conversations. So you're, you know, it allows you to to not to not go meet with people who you know off the bat aren't your people, you know. there was a couple of times where, you know, those people would slip through the cracks when when we were raising for 13, and I actually had a very powerful investor say to me, Well, what are you gonna do when this trend is over? Um, and I said, knowing exactly what he was asking me, what trend are you talking about?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because I was curious, exists, right? I was curious this to see, like, think yeah, like this. I was
1: curious yeah. to see and to learn, like what, what are some people in the venture community believing about this, you know, movement of, of diversity and inclusion in this heightened moment of systemic racism in our country? And he said, you know, the, the, you know, the people of color thing. And I said, you know, respectfully, sir, I have been black my entire life. It's not a trend. And right now, as we look at the way that the world is changing and, you know, my children are, are Kenyan and they're Irish and they're Italian and they're French and the world's going to look just like them in about five minutes, right? So you have to be speaking to, you have to be investing in, you have to be Hiring, you have to to be surrounding yourself with what the majority will be for the success of your business one day. And um, but it is still an opportunity to learn to learn who your people are, who your people aren't, to help educate others. But you know, not to necessarily take a check
0: and make sure we think. Well, one thing as well is I found a lot of the time in the last couple of years. Uh, I think I've seen this more being in London. Um, the global vision is often overlooked, right? We think by countries yeah. and like my, my yeah. dad was born in Uganda, in Uganda, um, you know, mm. his, his mom as well. So uh, I, I really re- uh, re- remember my grandma's rituals were all about everything from speaking Swahili and Ugandan. My mom was born in India. So, you know, I have this two, um, I guess like two, two moments of uh, two con- two con- like India and Africa, uh, but Uganda specifically. And for me, it's like, I think about also what's happening back in these countries where we come from as well. And that is something that I've noticed as well is that the the form of like, we live in a globalized economy, especially bringing a brand today. You know, you you probably get DMs from people in Kenya saying, I want to try Relevant, for example. I'm like, please let me be
1: able to sell to Africa one day. (laughs)
0: Exactly. So, you know, the investor story and everything, the retailers, you know, at the beginning, I remember very clearly with Sephora even, like my first meetings, they were like, it took these brands spent five years before they went global. You know, don't you focus in the US? I'm like, I, I hear you, I see you, but. I'm willing to overinvest in my bandwidth and my, my internal team to make sure I build a global company today because I have an audience in India that I also need to you know, serve to. Yeah. This is my story. Same. My products are based yeah. in India. And, yeah. um, and often that's also why we, we, we actually are still self-funded because it was very hard to find you know, people that would believe in a globalized approach. They thought it was mental. They were like, why are you, di- why are you wasting your time and focus on market, get revenue big and then go in five years. Um, and I think they people forget to listen to what do you want to do as a founder, right? There's no right, right. and wrong, right? Uh, maybe I don't want to build a hundred million dollar brand. Maybe I want to build my brand my my own way. And I think that's important. Like know know your worth and know your reason globally as well. A hundred
1: percent. I love that so much. And I, I mean, I was clapping just listening to you because you know we say this all the time at Thirteen Loon. This is not a a, a story about black, brown, and white. This is Thirteen Loon. Is a global beauty company. While we only ship to the US currently. Currently, exactly. It's currently. Not,
0: yeah.
1: Um, we're telling a global beauty story. When we are awesome. when we are celebrating our founders from South Asia, yeah, from East Asia, from Africa, from South America. Most of the beauty rituals and ingredients used across the entire industry come. From cultures, marginalized cultures around the world, right? So if we're talking about marula oil or those types of you know stories that are brought into brands of all of all founder backgrounds, we have to be able to understand the root of where that it all comes from, and the only way to be able to really truly honor it is to allow us to be available to our people globally and so i you know i i obviously just launched relevant your skin scene my second yeah. beauty brand which and i would
0: love now to talk about please yes you know, tell us oh more my about gosh. it
1: first of all the first time i've ever had the autonomy and the runway and the support and the ability um to create the brand i've always wished i could create i uh I started creating Relevant um, at the same time as, as, as Searchy Loon. And so it all obviously automatically became a, a Searching Loon brand. But I had the opportunity to hire two Black chemists because I really wanted to hire people who were, by the way, some of the most award-winning chemists, have made a million award-winning products in their 30-year career, had never been promoted to lead chemists. Um, and I met them while they were independent. We socially distanced over on Larchmont Boulevard in my neighborhood. And, and, you know, they were lucky. They had, you know, things at home so that they could formulate at home. And then we would meet with our masks and we would play with skincare, and And I learned so much from them. But, you know, I wanted to bring something to market um, that was melanin safe. Um, I, I was lucky as a retailer to have this data to see You know, where could we still be working harder to serve a consumer that's been underserved for far too long? Um, But how can I create something that's not going to allow anybody to feel left out at shelf? Because I've been in the industry so long, I know when I pick up a product and I turn it over and I look at the level of acids, whether it's going to cause hyperpigmentation or hyperpigmentation in my skin. But I want to be able to use a peel. I want to be able to use a five acid toner. I don't want to feel left out like that product's not for me. It's only for people who are, you know, have less melanin in their skin. And so I was able to to work for two and a half years on these formulations with these chemists to find the perfect balance of efficacy with science backed and tested formulations, but bringing in what I always loved about creating with Nikeo the heritage ingredients and the heritage story. And so you see caffeine carried through the collection in honor of my grandmother. And then obviously I'm still working with incredible, you know, cold pressed oils. And now I have my own proprietary complex where I got to feel like my grandfather blending this complex and, and oils, but also married with, you know, all of those good for you acids and, and ingredients. And, and it's And it's really made for all. But You know, I got to really prioritize melanin rich skin in the formulations because we really suffer from the most skin conditions. So, if it works on our skin, it's going to work on anyone's skin. And so, it makes me really happy. It's also the first time I've ever gotten to cross categories as a founder. Um, And so, more to come on that. And I'm having the best time. I've only ever dreamed of making XYZ. Um, And, you know, while we just launched here in the US, um, in October, obviously at 13 Loon and our 13 Loon stores at JCPenney, like you, I am ready to go global. And to your point, some people say, are you kidding? Like, why don't you just grow the business in the U.S. first? I'm like, because it's a global beauty story and it deserves to be out in the world. And and that's been really exciting, talking to potential global partners and true allyship, you know, being a retailer, talking to another retailer about my brand. It's It's just like where I always dreamed the business would be that we would all be in such partnership and supportive of one another. And, and you know, people ask all the time, what are you going to do when you build some of these small brands? And we don't just sell small brands. Like we have Olaplex, we have Hourglass, we have Pattern by Tracy Ellis Ross, and we also have these beautiful, beautiful independent small brands. And people ask me all the time, you know, what are you going to do when, when you work so hard to build these brands? And then they go to the Ulta's and the Sephoras of the world. And I'm like, then I know my job is done. I didn't do this to be competitive. I did this to help take up more space. And the more our smaller brands grow to a place that they're ready to launch into other national or global retail, that means that exactly what I set out to do is being done. We're taking up more space and we're building generational wealth. And I too want to expand into other places with my own brand. And I think, you know, it's a really special time in beauty because, you know, Mean Girls went out in the, in the early. In the early 2000s, it's all about collaborative, um, wonderful moment. Exactly.
0: And it's happening. Yeah. I, you, you, we can feel it. I, think, I think post-pandemic specifically, I mean, also like I and you as well, you know, we built our brands pandemic or post-pandemic. And I feel like um, it's sort of, I felt, uh, I, I used to work in corporate worlds. I, I didn't see the foundlets. I used to work at Dior and Estee Lauder, but I still felt it within those spaces of this, you don't talk, you don't share. And I think now it's completely shifted. Um, which I think which is really exciting. And I think the one thing I will say with relevant, which I think you forgot to mention is the fact that it's a piece of art. It's beautiful, the packaging and the colors. It's like and I think and that goes to your point of global, is when you have a great product, right? And and a story and and authenticity in it, it becomes a lot easier to do global expansion, find the right people that will believe in you, go direct to retail, even you don't even need distributors because they will believe in the brand and product so much that they'll want it and they'll do a lot of the heavy lifting. So, you know, I've never built a brand before and we launched in Middle East, India, Europe, and everyone's like, how did you do it? Do you have uh, how many hands and how many? I was like, it's because they've helped me. You know, like the Middle East yeah. team, they're so good, they'll even get you your visa because at uh, the retailer. Oh my goodness. You know, that, that,
1: Okay, well, I'll amazing. be calling you after this podcast for some advice. Whenever. Um, No. And it's also, you know, it's I love that you're saying this because, you know, I just recently met with a a retailer in the UK about uh, potentially launching Relevant there. And, you know, when we were talking about I I have so many there are so many Kenyans, first of all, in the UK. I have so many cousins in the they that just because I was born in in New York and raised in Oklahoma and live in Los Angeles my actual truth is that I have family all over the world. I have friends all over the world. So it is like coming home, right? When you, when you launch into a category, when you're a really globally minded brand and, and that to me is exciting. You know, I said to, to, to the, the head of the retail of the, of this retailer that, you know, it was so interesting because I spoke at Cosmoprof in Bologna last year and the explaining 13 Loon when I'm in a global community is understood just like that. People understand you're telling a global story, you're celebrating global ingredients. Sometimes in the U.S., people are like, oh, yes, you have that retailer where you sell all the black owned brands and, you know, for black, you, you have products for people that have black skin. You know, it's like it just doesn't translate sometimes. And and so that's why I also see an opportunity not only for relevant, but also for 13 Loon to have it's it's global expansion
0: yeah, uh, it's So exciting. So, I mean, we're going to start wrapping up since I know you have multiple things to do, many businesses <laughs> to run, but I, oh. I can speak to you all day. But we know, we'll, do, we'll do it. I always say I like to do like a, a year later, another podcast, catch up, see where everyone's yes. going, what everyone's doing. No, you know, we'll I'm do I'm going
1: to hit you up for, uh, for some uh, oh, we're, gonna,
0: we're gonna for sure. We're going yes. to do that. But before I end, I have um, a fire-round question, three quick questions, but yeah. I will first start with the desert island situation. So imagine I'm inviting you to a desert island And I'm being very mean. I'm saying you can only bring one relevant, your skin scene product. What is your go-to product that you're going to bring?
1: Um, Desert Island, I would bring my one and done everyday cream with SPF 40. Cause I know I'm going to need it.
0: Amazing. Um, also I love the fact that you have beautiful minis too. I think that's such a discovery kits are so important, but you have this. It's pouch so important. That, yeah. I'm like, I love like, it. Like yes. Cause I find that like, cool. like, they yeah. can be so
1: wasteful if they're not cute. If they don't feel luxurious or it's like vegan leather, like you don't have to just use it as your discovery kit. You can have use and use it to put your pencils in to, you know as your makeup bag. And yeah,
0: it's so beautiful. I love it. I love it. So these are the first three, three questions. The first thing that comes to your mind, my first question, and it's going to be a tough one because I'm sure there's so many, but what's a beauty brand that you're currently loving right now? Ami Oh, I love Ami Yeah. I love it so
1: much. I have it on right now amazing
0: and you also salami at 13 loon which is awesome we do so,
1: yeah. one of our original 13 rants that i'm obsessed i mean i was oh, one of the ogs site. yeah oh, no way yeah. Jada, That's so cool. joanna vargas yeah, um, yeah yes. oh
0: amazing so cool well. okay next question do you have a favorite quote or like a saying that you keep close to your heart
1: i don't i mean this is amazing first thing comes to my mind um it, i mean not say it correctly, but I love the quote that's by Dolly Parton, um, that if you want the rainbow, you're going to have to take the rain.
0: Oh yeah. I never heard that one. That's actually so good. Yeah. That's it like, may not
1: be exactly that, but that's no, basically but what she said. I like saying. that version yeah. anyway.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> It's that's,
1: Dolly like by the
0: <laughs> Love it. My, my last question is if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur in the beauty space, what would you, or what could you be doing right now?
1: I mean, I always wanted to be a, a newscaster when I was younger, but I think I would be a psychologist.
0: Oh, I love that. That's yeah. I mean, I like asking that question because it's like always when we finish a podcast, I want our guests to like ponder about that and be like, oh, maybe after, maybe this, maybe at the same time. Or a uh, matchmaker. Uh, so many people have said.
1: Yes. yes. Matchmaker. Or matchmaker. Ooh. Yeah. I okay, really... maybe you
0: can help me. I'm a very single. so <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. So Ah, maybe a psychologist that is a matchmaker.
0: That's a good one. (laughs) 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 Well, Nakea, it's been such an honor and pleasure speaking to you. I've been looking forward to this day for a while. Once I saw it in the diary, I was like, okay, when are we I was like, you know, the counts in the day is like to Christmas. Like, when am I going to speak to Nakea? So I genuinely mean it. I haven't said that to anyone in this pod so far. No, but it's true. But well, where can everyone continue to follow yourself? Um 13 Loon at Relevant. What are all the handles?
1: Yeah. Amazing. So um at on Instagram, I am at and I think TikTok too, maybe. Um at Nikeo, N-Y-A-K-I-O. Maybe TikTok has my last name, G-R-I-E-C-O, but on Instagram at Nikeo at relevant dot relevant skin and at 13Loon and also please tune in to my podcast that i host with melissa magsaysay called the beauty vanguard over at dear media
0: i'm gonna put the link to the podcast as well so because it's a great thing as from people listening to podcasts to other podcasts so in this summary i'll put the link to the podcast plus i'll put the link to all the social handles and websites so people can just tap straight away make it easier for everyone
1: okay awesome Thanks, well, thank Nintendo. you so much this was so much fun
0: It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founds of Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.